Greetings of peace and welcome to Path and Present Podcast. This week, um, the guest is Yusuf Kroma, and uh, we recorded this podcast in Cairo, Egypt, where I am visiting the brother, and uh, we had a good conversation about a number of things, and uh, we'll let you have it. I won't share too much because we get into it in the podcast. But uh, first and foremost, I want to say one love and peace, and thanks for listening to everybody. Um, we're really grateful to share these these podcasts with you. Um, if you do have any questions that you'd like addressed on the podcast, um, we'd love to answer those, and uh, from time to time we get those. But if you have any questions that you'd like addressed on the podcast, you can send an email to connect at barakablue.com. Or you can write us on Twitter at um, at Baraka Blue, and uh, we'll try to answer some questions in some of these episodes as well from the audience. Um, if you would like to support this podcast, and this podcast is completely listener supported, as you notice, it's ad free, and you guys make it happen. Uh, you can through Patreon. So I want to first and foremost thank everybody who is a supporter on Patreon. You make this possible, and we pray that all the blessing and all the goodness is written in your account because each one of these conversations is uh, because of you. And you can support with as little as a dollar a month. And if everybody who listens uh, were to give five or ten a month, we will be solid. And so that goes to just supporting the podcast and the costs involved and allowing us to do this with regularity and frequency. Um, and our page is patreon.com slash path and present. You can find the link uh, in our SoundCloud as well. So, yeah, I got some dates coming up in Europe. Uh, I'm doing a festival in Berlin, uh, September 19th through 22nd. And I'll be sharing the flyer for that on my social media soon. And um, it looks like I'll also be going to Abu Dhabi um, for an artist in residence at NYU Abu Dhabi. We're still working out the details on that, but that's for this fall. And then, uh, you know, as we get into the fall, uh, we got a lot of other programs. So uh, check the social media for announcements on those. Uh, but that's about it for now. And I wish everybody a blessed day or evening, whatever it may be. Peace. Assalamu Alhamdulillah. So we are sitting in Al Qahira, Umma Dunya, the mother of the lower world. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Egypt, Cairo, we're drinking coffee, and uh, alhamdulillah, we're sitting in the house of my brother Yusuf, and uh, he's been graciously hosting me, so it's good to have you on the podcast, it's, we had to record one with you while I'm here, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah man, it's an honor to be here, and uh, we had to turn the AC off. So we're just gonna sweat it out for this one. We didn't. We, we wanted to increase the listening pleasure for the, the <laughs> listeners at the expense of our own uh, comfort. I don't do a lot. And hopefully the Egyptian street won't too overwhelm the sounds as it is wont to do. But now you live in a nice kind of 
quiet for Egypt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Area, yeah. real nice area, alhamdulillah. But yeah, man, so how does a a uh, young brother that grows up in Philadelphia come to reside in uh, in Egypt and be a student at Al-Azhar? Man, you know, subhanAllah, I always had this drive in me to like seek knowledge. Mm-hmm. I started like attending madrasa, learning fiqh and aqid and stuff like that when I was about like 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that really put a desire in me for knowledge. Like I used to go to madrasa and then I would have all these aqidah questions, man. So my teacher would come to my house and then double teach me mm-hmm. in the home. Uh, so when I graduated high school, I actually I did my first year in a public high school mm-hmm. in West Philly High. And on my first day of school, you know, I remember my dad buying me these really nice sneakers, man. And I got to like the third floor and this kid, this kid was like, yo, those sneakers are really nice. I was like, thank you, man. Like, give them to me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Come about Yeah, them. yeah. My first day in public school, man, in Philly. Because I was going to school out in the Burbs. So I got in a fist fight, man. My first day of school, not even making it to homeroom, I was suspended. So you can imagine how the rest of the year went. Like, I fought almost every day, man, in mm-hmm. high school. Until like in the middle of the year, uh, some Muslim brothers, when they found out I was Muslim, they really came to my aid, and I had no problems then. Mm. Other students. Yeah, some other students in, in higher grades, like in mm. 10th, 11th, and 12th. Then, you know, I had like armed security guys, you know, like, not armed, but you know. Sure. NOI yeah, 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 yeah. Rolling with me everywhere I went, alhamdulillah. Um, so, you always, so after that for ninth grade year, I told my dad I wanted to go to Islamic school, right? Yeah. Uh, so I went online, found Al-Aqsa Islamic Academy. We went there, signed up. And then for my 10th, 11th, 12th grade year, I, I attended Al-Aqsa. Mm. So I, I was like, okay, when I finish here, I'm going to go to Medina. So after I graduated, I went to Medina. And somewhere along in my journey, my father called me back and I was like, you know what? It would be better if you come home and go to college. And then afterwards, you can go back. Mm. Because you're so young and impressionable. If you stay there at this moment... I'm afraid you may come home with some a mind that's not yours, mm. you know. So that's, that's a profound insight, man, yeah, from yeah. your pops, because we've yeah. also seen that, man. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm curious. Like before you get ahead of that, like Philly is like notoriously the like heart of Salafi America, yeah, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But just Islam too is super present there. Like mm-hmm. you walk around and it's just dudes walking around in thobes, and you know. Women in like abayas and big beards everywhere. You know, you go to like the barber shop and you're just like, give me the Sunni. Mm -hmm. And they like hook you up with the nice beard, right? (sighs) So, like, what is that? And like, it's such a unique experience that's really uh, not that common in other places in America, right? Yeah. So, what is that? Like, what's it like in that? Uh, I I tell you, I take another level. Like, there's some barber shops you go to, the barber won't cut your beard because he says haram. I've been there. <laughs> you know, he, he won't. You can't like, pay. Bro, like, how are you in business? You just refuse. <laughs> you know, he won't cut the Muslim brother's beard, but then he'll turn around and he'll, you know, line a, a sister's eyebrows up. You know what I mean? But, yeah, it's, it's a wild. Philly's a wild city like that. It's a wild dichotomy. But you know, we do have an ingrained Muslim culture such that you'll be hard pressed to find a single family where there isn't a Muslim in it, mm. in the inner city. So there's Muslims everywhere. You know, even the vernacular of the Muslims, you find that non-Muslims have taken it on. Right. You know, they'll tell you, like, 
I remember I had a, a non-Muslim girl came up to me and she was like, "Yo, this is haram. You can't do that." I said, "What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. Muslim, she said, "No." But, but my boyfriend told me, that, you know, my Muslim boyfriend told me, "This is haram." Yes, I said, "Okay, I'm not gonna touch that." <laughs> but uh, you know, that's your just Muslim boyfriend. Yeah, right, 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 right. Let me tell you about your Muslim exactly. boyfriend. Exactly. <laughs> but that's the culture in Philly, man. So the vernacular, the way people dress, a lot of the sunnah is normal, commonplace, familiar to see a Muslim sister in the police force, to see Muslim politicians. To see Muslims in big economic positions as well So I grew up not ever feeling uh, shy of my Islam You know, it was nothing to wear Izars and Jalabiyas yeah, I remember back in the day we were wearing them And you know, it, it was normal To see sisters in the club working at the airport Like, you know, mm-hmm. which is ajib And places. we're talking about predominantly African American Precisely Not right. immigrant No, like no Convert Yeah, mass. yeah, yeah African American Yeah and so, is this specific neighborhoods? Is it around specific like mosques or communities or like imams, or is it just like it's, widespread? It's throughout the whole entire Philly. One thing, and things are changing a bit now because of the younger generation. But I remember growing up, you could walk in any neighborhood, in the worst neighborhoods, and you could have a thobo and a kufion, and you're good. Yeah, that was like a pass. Yeah. Things are changing now, different man. For sister Hajjabo, yeah. she could walk in any anyway. neighborhood. Anyway. Nobody would say anything to her or bother her. You know, that was it was just an understanding. Even the worst guys, man, they knew like yeah. we don't fool with the Muslims. Like yeah. that was just a thing. I mean I think there was a yeah, in that generation that we grew up in, like you said, it is changing. But I think I'm sure Philly's like an you know, especially intense version of that. Yeah, but yeah. you find that everywhere, man. You found that in Oakland. You find that anywhere where, you know, it is a black neighborhood. You found this reverence for Islam, right? Sure. And like one of the most amazing um, stories of that is uh, there's his brother Abdul Qadir Wiswa, who's from uh, New Jersey. It's like right outside of Princeton. It's like super hood. Um, I forget this. There's a city right outside of New Jersey. Right, right outside of Princeton, New Jersey. Hmm. But it's like super hood. It's like 20 minutes away. Anyway, I visited him a couple times there. Maybe it'll come to me. Not Trenton. Yeah, Trenton. That's Trenton. Uh, Brick Brick City. (laughs) So so basically, what he told me, because he has a coffee shop there and he's been there. He's he's a white convert, by the way. Mm -hmm. So he, one time, and he's like into like his bicycle. So one time he was riding his bike through like a specific neighborhood and he got a flat tire. Mm Mm-hmm. So he was like, man, I need to fix my flat tire. So we had to go to the ATM just to get like some money to go fix his tire, right? Mm-hmm. So he said he literally was like in a real rough area and he goes to this ATM and he, <laughs> he knew he was like in a rough area because above the ATM, there was a sign that just said, use this ATM at your own risk. Dang. So he was like, yeah, he embraced it. <laughs> so he was like, all right. So he only took out like 40 bucks or something. Like he was just what he needed. He'll take right? that too. Right? So... <laughs> So then he's walking and he feels like somebody following him. Mm-hmm. You know, he could just feel that vibe, right? Somebody's after him. So he's like, man, what am I about to do? You know, and so he, he pulls out his phone, just kind of like instinctually, like, mm-hmm. like he's about to call somebody mm-hmm. and he puts his phone to his ear and somebody just bam, like hits him in the side Dang. of his head, right? Right where his phone is and his phone like kind of goes flying, right? And it, and. And he just turns around and it's like basically a whole crew of dudes. Dang. And the dude that hit him is like shirt off, tatted up. Ready like to go. Just ready. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and he turns around 
And you know, he's like a middle aged white dude at this point. I mean, he's probably he, at that point, he's probably in his like late thirties or mm-hmm. something. And he's, he said, just instinctually, without thinking, he's like, to this day, I don't know why I said this. He, he just looks at him. He goes, what are you doing? I'm Muslim. Dang. And he said, the dude looks at him and he goes, you're Muslim? And he said, yeah. And this dude go, reaches down, picks up his phone, puts it in his hand and says, my bad. I got chills, man. That's it, man. And like, you know, we can think of a number of stories like that, but that is the most like profound story to illustrate like the reverence that Islam holds in black communities. And it's because of the nation straight up. It's because of Malcolm. It's because of Mm -hmm. Elijah Muhammad. It's because of Muhammad Ali. It's because Mm -hmm. like of the value add that it Mm -hmm. brought to the community. Mm -hmm. And he also mentioned like in Trenton, his wife is actually... He married some, I think his wife is like Bengali or something like mm-hmm. that. And where's he job and the whole thing. And he mentioned that like when she's walking down the street at night, like the dude's selling drugs on the corner, mm-hmm. they'll literally cross the street when she's coming because she's yeah. wearing a hijab. Mm-hmm. So it's like that, even dudes that are selling drugs. And so, but again, the brother Abdul Qadir, he also mentioned, he said that was 10 years ago when that happened. And he said, now it's changing. Yeah, it's changing. And uh, I'm curious the reasons why but one of the reasons that he was reflecting on is he said honestly he goes a lot of it like we think like even in the hood like the the news and the all this like isis and 9-11 might not trickle down but he said a lot of it does and like in in the their perception has has shifted to mm-hmm. see that like oh uh, muslims aren't like they're just messed up like everybody else yeah. they're yeah. bombing suicide bombing whatever you know what mm-hmm. i mean in the, mm-hmm. in the popular perception so i'm just curious uh yeah, what you think, and has it also changed in Philly like yeah. that? Yeah, I would say in, in, in the city, when people are watching the news and things of this nature, they're not, they don't really sort of uh, tie that into African, you know, or, or black Muslims, you know? Yeah. They see it as other, like yeah. Arabs, Pakistanis, and, you know, Indonesian Pakistanis. Those, that's the other people that are bombing terrorists. Mm-hmm. Like, but when they look at black Muslims, they don't equate them to that. Mm-hmm. But what they do equate them to is when they see Muslims, you're, you're Muslim and you're selling drugs, you're Muslim, you're robbing banks, you're Muslim and you're doing these things, mm-hmm. then they lose respect for Muslims. Mm-hmm. You know, Like, for example, there was a shooting in Philadelphia that happened this last week where six police officers were shot. Mm-hmm. Right? Come to find out who did it? A Muslim. Right? And they, I saw an article, there was an article written up on the internet and it talked about how he was going to a Salafi masjid and then they did research on like you know the Salafi ideology of all this other stuff, but it was these are non-Muslims that were tying connecting the dots. Like we wouldn't even go that far, but mm. they said perhaps this could be connected to this and all of this nature. Mm. It was one of those websites that you know they get off on like you know talk, talking about how Muslims are extreme, so they really stretched it. But it, but but people are reading those materials, you know. Yeah. Um, and also talked about uh, and mentioned there was a group of Muslims that weren't from that movement or from another movement from like the Imam Jamil community and they had a flyer where they were going up against the police like stopping terrorist racist police you know so mm-hmm. if if they equate Muslims to like this trouble and drama and mm-hmm. shooting police officers and stuff like that they're like what makes you guys different from us before there was a reverence because they said yo Muslims don't do this mm-hmm. they're respectful people so we have to treat them with a certain respect and also there's a fear of Muslims as well, you know, like we don't want them to retaliate, but they came from unity, right? You know, they're well organized, they're disciplined, exactly. but they don't play around, exactly. Right. But if the unity is broken mm-hmm. and you see Muslim men dis- disrespecting their own women mm-hmm. and disrespecting themselves, it is open season, 
you know, so all around the board, that's our issue. Um, you know, th- there's not a united front. Like, you know, we can't even celebrate Eid together. Right. So, yeah, so that's an issue. And so what was it that, was it just that, like, a number of, what, in the 90s, a number of people, like, brothers from Philly studied in Medina and then came back and kind of that, like, how did the Salafi thing really spread in, in Philly? Like that? Yeah, the brothers from Philadelphia have been traveling since the early, talking about 70s, mm-hmm. uh, 80s, going to Medina, going to Egypt, coming to these, the, the journey that we're on right now, brothers have done it before years ago. Mm-hmm. So you have these brothers that even went to Yemen mm-hmm. uh, that came and studied, uh, yeah, but a lot of them were half-baked, though. Mm-hmm. You know, they came, did a little bit of Arabic and went back, uh, came, did a little bit of this and went back, came a little right. bit, so it was. It came but back. Because right they divisive. had a little bit of Arabic, which is a lot it, more than course. everybody else, of course. then they're of course. They're shit, yeah. right? Yeah, you became the, the go-to guy. Mm-hmm. And also, too, the Salafi movement was very, very enticing, very enticing. Uh, because for years you have these people, these foreigners that were coming and not giving you, they will give you a little bit of not what they want you to understand in their books or whatever, but don't give you access to the Quran, access to the Arabic language. Mm-hmm. So here come these guys, we're going to give you Quran and Sunnah, forget these scholars, forget the method, forget everything. Forget somebody else's culture. That's even, it. Like, forget right? the culture, yeah. we're going to give you straight Quran and Sunnah. Mm-hmm. We were like, yeah, mm-hmm. we, you know, you know, and then also there was like, it was like almost cultish, you know, it was like mm-hmm. a, you know, I get down or lay down, are they with me or you're not? So a lot of us who came from the gang mentality, like, okay, I recognize this. Now we're yeah. down for Islam. Like, these are my brothers. We were hang out together. We eat together. We don't hang with those people. Blood and blood out. Blood and blood out type of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, it was, you know, it was, it was very uh, enticing. And there are, like, in terms of my studiousness, I, I got that from hanging around those brothers. They were very studious, always into books. Right. The whole culture was surrounded around lectures, around right. seeking knowledge. Right. That's all it was about. Right. So I got my, my yearning for seeking knowledge from hanging with those brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, alhamdulillah so you know I give them credit for that even their loyalty to the scholars to a certain degree you know giving reverence to scholarship um, not always the right scholarship but nevertheless you know they did have a reverence and for like culturally you have uh, so many artists that are you know Muslims from no doubt. from that you mean no doubt you have like you know black thought from the roots you mm-hmm. have Freeway, Beanie Siegel, Beanie Siegel's from Philly. Yeah, yeah, right? Tone Trump. Uh, Tone Trump. You yeah, have yeah. a bunch of. You could, I'm sure you could probably list a lot more. Yeah. That are like very visible and very representatives of that. No doubt. That tradition. No doubt. Um, and and really beloved like artists, you know. What yeah. I mean? Remember what Jay Z said in the song? I had to kill witnesses because free bear is sticking out. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that was like that was a little you know. Mm-hmm. A little, a little nods out to the Philadelphia brothers, man. That always had their beer. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, mashallah. So, now you're studying Al Azhar, and like, what is that like, bro? And what is, uh, yeah, what is it like being a, from Philly and studying Al Azhar? A lot of times for me, it's surreal, man. Like I wake up in the morning, and I can't believe like this is my life. You know, just here. Studying, you know, speaking Arabic language. Sometimes I even have dreams in Arabic now, cause just by being in it so much. And I, it's something I'm really grateful for because I know that it's by invitation. Allah doesn't invite everybody on the path, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's difficult. It has a lot of difficulties. A lot of people they romanticize studying in the Arab world, but it's not sweet at all. Actually, uh, eventually, if we could create replicate these systems in the West, I think it would be better. Because a lot of students don't make it, man. You find a lot, a lot of people. Every year, you, you see people come 
by the dozens. And maybe out of 12 students that come, nine will leave. And, you know, a few will make it or a few will just come for a few months and then mm-hmm. leave. And like we said, half-baked. So the process is difficult. Uh, just dealing with bureaucracy, uh, paperwork, this organization, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fruit of it is, you know, I remember standing in prayer one day and I understood what was being said, you know, from the Quran. Like, you know, yeah. that really affected my heart. So things like that, you have these moments of victory that keep you going. But, you know, the path is difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. yeah man and you're also like you have a unique thing right because you've also even before you went to study overseas you had been like a imam or sister imam yeah, yeah and also you're an artist so yeah like maybe you could share a little bit about that aspect of your journey and like how you think that relates to your you know yeah so so one thing I had one I had thing I have to say I love Philadelphia because they really the city put me on their back like mm-hmm. you know from growing up from like the time I really started performing officially is from eighteen uh, I was doing slam poetry mm-hmm. and I got featured on you know uh, HBO's Brave New Voices and you know put in the newspapers and around the city and I was featuring them you know at eighteen I then did CNN who's Black in America mm-hmm. so you know I was having having the time of my life you know at eighteen like a big on a big scale as an artist. And I remember there was an imam, Shadid Muhammad, you know, from South Philly, uh, who he called me into his office one time, and I thought I knew I was in trouble, man, like because nobody ever calls you. His name Shadid. Shadid, right? right? <laughs> nobody ever calls you to the imam's office like you're doing a great job, right? It's always like <laughs> to tell you what you did. So I was shook. I really didn't want to go, but then um, I remembered, uh, you know, one of my mentors is there, and he called me to the office, and he. Was talking to me about doing Juma and stuff like that, and about you know how there was a need for like a youth presence and and like the massages and stuff like that. So I'm thinking like, what where's this conversation going? So he asked me, uh, could I do the chutbah? And I was like, that's not my lane. It's impossible. Like, there's no way on earth I'm going to do it. I can't even do it. I never did it before. I never had an interest. Um, but he said, are you able to read and write Arabic? I said yes. He said, could you speak Arabic? I said yes. You know, to the little degree that I could at that time. He said, okay, I want you to prepare a khutbah, something new, something fresh, not, you know, something old, just give me a new concept, and then uh, bring it in, we'll talk about it. So what I did was, at the time, it was uh, Drake's song, it was out YOLO, right? So I don't know what influenced me to, like, come up with this concept, YOLO, because people you only live once, and what are the implications of that if you mm. think that there's no Hayat dunya mm. So I brought him the concept, and he told me that there was a group of people called the Hiriyun who believed, and during the time of Prophet that they say, there's nothing else after Hayat dunya You know, and they would ask Allah, do you think after we're dust and bones that you're going to bring us back? Yeah. So he said the concepts are the same. Shaitan just repeats them over in different manners. So we took that, expounded upon it, and I ended up having a whole piece of writing. I was just, mm-hmm. you know, so interested in pulling up tapsir and stuff like that. And then one day, on like a Wednesday, he called me. He's like, listen, I'm traveling uh, on Thursday. There's nobody to do the khutbah. If you don't do it, it's not going to be done. Bang, hang up. Right. I was like, oh my God, Like, what am I going to do? So I'm bugging out, right? Bugging out. Uh, so finally, come Friday, I came. I remember I was supposed to be like 1.15. I came here late just to see if somebody else would get up there and do it, right? And I walk into the masjid, and I hear one of the Arab brothers from Maghrib speaking Arabic on the, on the microphone. So I was like, yes, somebody's doing the khutbah. But he was giving announcements, like, you know? So um, I'm just, I got up there shaking and all, but I did the khutbah, and it was 
amazing, mashallah. Alhamdulillah, like people really appreciated it, it resonated, it brought the youth out, they were talking about it. And then from there, like the news spread around the city. And I ended up like for like three years straight doing Juma every single Friday. Mm. Almost. Mm-hmm, almost, you know? And you were um, still a teenager at that still, time? Still, yeah, teen in my teens, man. Yeah. Uh I go early twenties in my teens, you know? Just so. So, so thanks to, to Imam Shadi who challenged me, who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, that I began to hone in on, you know, my, my skills of Arabic speaking, studying Quran and stuff like that even more. But what that did for me was at the time, spiritually, my maturity, mentally, I wasn't ready because now I'm at a level where you're a khatib. What comes along with being a khatib? What are the responsibilities in the public and in private? There was no, I never heard of Tisawaf at the time, nothing like that, mm-hmm. spiritual refinement, anything. So I'm just a young kid, fresh off the street, you know, mm-hmm. now you're a khatib, now, in, in our community, you brother imam now, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Everybody's now, coming for right, advice. Right, right. What's the fiqh of this? Is this halal, is haram? And I had no knowledge of, uh, no madhab, anything. Mm-hmm. So I was, I, I found myself in a position where, you know, may Allah forgive me, I, sometimes I would ask, answer questions without proper knowledge, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, just to save face. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I got to a certain point where I was like, I need to get out of this situation. So Imam Farid, another one of our beloved Imams, he was here in Egypt, and he called me to do a khutbah in Chester. He was like, I won't be able to make it. Can you cover my Juma? I said, Sure, I could cover it. But what are you doing that you won't make it? He said, I'm here in Egypt looking after my students. And I was like, Well, I want to study too. He said, If you're serious, forget the khutbah. Stop what you're doing and come right now. I was like, Right now? He said, Right, right now. So I hung up the phone, talked to my parents, and next thing you know, I was on the next thing smoking in Egypt. Hmm. Got here, left my bags, and that's where it all began three years ago. No, that's deep, man, and I feel you, bro. It's like, you know, I've thought about this a lot because, you know, a lot of our, we all know, like, our friends are like the kind of like, you know, younger generation of imams and they're like, 30s and 40s yeah, now, yeah, right? Yeah. So we, we know all of them, you know what I mean? And like, it's deep because like, people have asked me to give khutbahs all the time and I was like, always like, nah, dude, yeah. to give a khutbah is so official, like yeah. you're an imam. It's serious khutbah, though, bro. right? Yeah. And I don't know exactly what it is if it's just because like, when you convert to Islam, you see the one giving the khutbah like, that's know. it, right. So I'm happy to like, give a talk yeah. about Islam or whatever but I was always like I'm doing it as an artist sharing my perspective That's it. you know what right, I mean like right, there was right, like right, a protection right. from yeah, 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 yeah. being put on that pedestal because mm-hmm. it's like uh, and if the first time the only like now I, I've given a couple of khubas, but the first time I ever did was in London actually and I was with your boys I was with uh, Muhammad Yahya yeah. Mustafa Briggs and uh, I think Khalid Sadiq or maybe his brother was there mm-hmm. that, that day not him mm-hmm. We went to Rumi's cave. You know oh, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You dropped it on and, him? And, and look, man, we just went for the... But then the khatib didn't show up. No. So all those? those brothers were like, you give it. And I was like, no, I'm straight. But then they were like, if you don't give it... It's not going to... No, it's not going to... We're not going to have Juma. Subhanallah. So I, like, yeah. so I just like riffed. I'm not even sure if it was like valid. But I just like... It is. And uh, it was cool. I'm happy I had it there because that's like a real art space. Yeah, it's yeah, It's a beautiful yeah, yeah. space. And, uh, but there's some to it. And then recently I, I gave a chutzpah in Seattle at this spot called the Islamic House, which is like... Which is in the university district right by the University of Washington. So it's mostly like young, young people, students, mm-hmm. and people from that neighborhood. And honestly, bro, what the brothers started like really pushing me to do it because like 
there was just some chuppahs that I went to in the Seattle area that were just like, not even not good, but just like actually like harmful. Yeah, yeah, like it was yeah, just yeah, like yeah. so. And the thing about like Islam in America is really interesting. Is like there's such a mixed bag. It's so many different. You know what I mean? Like you said, as far as perspectives, there's not really like authority yeah. in the sense, which is on some level good in that like. You know, I mean, here in Egypt and like in Jordan and a lot of Muslim countries, like the government gives the the there's government appointed khatibs mm-hmm. and if they step out of line they're fired yeah, right. and they're they're given the night before they're told or the week before this is the khutbah you're going to give this week mm-hmm. here's the verses of the Quran here's mm-hmm. the hadith right. and like you don't have a choice mm-hmm. some beautiful in that like you know in America like they really will let you be as long as they're not worried about you doing like any type of like you know violent rebellion mm-hmm. like they'll just let you be you know what i mean for the most part but uh so there is a freedom in that but it's also yeah like you say man anyone could just be up there you know some this week it's like the computer programmer yeah, right. this week it's like <laughs> the 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 doctor this week it's the shopkeeper mm-hmm. like you, you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i feel you bro and it's interesting like there's also just different, you know, minhajs. There's different schools of thought on, yeah, like, yeah. you know, authority. But, uh, yeah, man, what is your, like, what have you gained just from being in an environment like an Azhar, which is this, like, ancient institution of learning? I mean, for those that don't know, it's like, it's like the oldest continuous university. Yeah. And it's like a center of, you know, Islamic learning in 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 the Sunni world, it's like one of the most prestigious, if not the most prestigious institution. Even though it's changed a lot, people mm-hmm. are more like, will say it's not what it used to be and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Which is um, true. But yeah, what's your experience? Uh, a, a few things I've taken. One is that Allah has expanded my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's very unique in the sense that uh, Azhar studies like all the Madahib. And they they all study in like a unique way where the traditional ashar there used to be a rawak, which is like a four corners, and in each corner there would be a, the the four madahibs, mm, and shafi, it, the shafi, maliki, hanbali, hanafi. They would all get together and they would like debate and talk, but it was on like a it was like fraternity. You know, right. there wasn't like you know um, when our eldest Baba Sharif he said that he thought that it was like almost like a gang type of thing right. like I don't get down with the Malikis yeah. Malikis don't get the Shafis yeah. you know it's, it's so you know conflicting but it's really not mm. learned people there's, there's there's never that that kind of conflict there's always the general mm. or Awan people that, that make it seem like it's, it's conflicting mm. when in actuality they were brothers they were students of each other and even Abu Hanifa was sending his students, Abu Yusuf, to Imam Malik. And Imam Shafi was the student of Imam Malik. Imam Ahmed Muhammad was the student of Imam Shafi. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the beauty of it. So one thing I learned was that expanding my mind. In the Ashar, you learn even different. You learn, you have Shafi fiqh. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the Shia, the, the fiqh of the Shia. And the, the mm-hmm. different movements that you learn about their, their history. Um, and it gives it to you in a real way, where it's not like a biased way. The, the discussions, this discourse between the Shi'i scholars and the scholars of Al-Azhar, mm-hmm. where they debated certain subjects and they came to different understandings, the different types of Al-Qaeda, the Afri, Ash'adi, uh, Maturidi. You know, so you learn different things. When other places, they give you one box yeah. way of thinking, and if you think outside of this box, you're off, you're, you're mm-hmm. gone. But Azhar expands your mind. 
So a lot of the things that I've been doing in the past years is a lot of unlearning the things that I learned and I thought I knew before. Remember so many times I was given concepts that was just so hard for me to grasp. Uh, my father came and visited like a few months ago. And uh, I remember I was I was leading the prayer uh, uh, for Fedra. Mm-hmm. And he saw me praying with my hands at my sides. And I haven't seen my father, you know, living with him for a long time. So this blew his mind. Like, it troubled his whole prayer. Like, mm-hmm. so as soon as we got home, sit down. I need to talk to you, right? Like, what you learning in the are, You know, so he started going <laughs> on, right? Then on top of that, I took him to Hadra at, with the Ja'afadis. Like, he's like, yo, like, my son is bugging out. Like, what does he learn in Ansar? But, and even though my father... Hadra, do they do movement or they just... They, it wasn't even movement. It was just... Like, thicker, basically. Just thicker, Same. you know, but... Mm-hmm. That's foreign to us, though, yeah. you know? So because of the influence of the, that, that, that particular movement, mm. everything that isn't what you know, then it must be wrong. And that's the type of mentality that I came here. So I had to unlearn a lot of things. But to get back to your question, one, I learned appreciation for the madahib, for the schools of thoughts, to learn Islam in an organized, system, systematic way. Uh, appreciation of, the schol- of scholarship, to author, you know, the books or whatever, lineage, connection back to the Prophet Silsila. I really learned about that and I have appreciation of that. Um, emphasis on Aqidah. Before, like, you know, when we talked about Aqidah, the only thing I knew was from the Salafi movement. Like, this is our Aqidah mm-hmm. that you respect the president, you know, the, the king of Saudi Arabia. Mm. If you don't, your is jacked up, right? Mm. Uh, you know, you hang with these people with these massages or else your is jacked up. Mm-hmm. You wear these clothes or else your that, that was our, <laughs> you know, that was our understanding of Akidah. So when I came and I understood the, the true principles, which is understanding who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was and how scholars differed yeah. and was still within under the belt of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, you know? Uh, the, the third thing I learned about was tasawwuf. You know, in, in Philly, Sufi was, was a dirty word. I remember that was on our, you know, uh, imams. Unfortunately, to this day, he stopped, he, like, unfriended me in real life. Like, you know, like, <laughs> and, I, and I understand why. But I was so young in my age, I didn't, you know, I'm, I don't think I was to blame. But he was the imam at this masjid, and he got kicked out because he mentioned in the khutbah Sufism, Dr. Jackson's book, Sufism for the Non-Sufi. Wow. They kicked him on the new imam. Kicked him off out the masjid. Kicked him out just for mentioning it, right? And I was that was my guy, but I didn't defend him, right? I was like, no, you're a Sufi, like, you should have said that. <laughs> right? You should have said that, but I liked them, no. So later on in life, like when I realized what was going on, I tried to reconnect, but he was like, yo, I'm done with you, you know. But it did that go to the extent that just mentioning it, it, it was it, 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 hmm. it was like not only a dirty word, but you were like, we we would discommunicate ourselves from you if, if you if you mention that. Sure. Many times, I remember the influence was so deep, I would go and visit friends' house, and if I would see a book that had Sufism, and I would look at them sideways. I remember I had a friend like this, mm-hmm. uh, my friend Sammy, my, my brother Bashir. I remember having a conversation with him, because Bashir was doing dicker with his dicker bees. Mm-hmm. Yo, that's bit out, man. Mm-hmm. My dad had some dicker bees. I remember popping them, man. Like, you Damn. know, I was on that wave, bro. So, and when I look back, I remember crying, actually, living in Egypt, crying, thinking that, Subhanallah, here I've born and raised Muslim and I've never tasted the sweetness of dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like never made dhikr outside of after salat, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, you know, Allah, Allah, that's it. Never dhikr. Never send salawat on the Prophet. Never had a love of the Prophet, let alone had bait. My whole life as a Muslim, I'm talking about twenty something years, never doing that because mm. of a movement, you know? Mm. Never having a love for the awliya, nothing. Mm. 
So I remember it really brought me to tears, man, when I realized like the effects of, of, of that particular movement, not having a, I remember being so ignorant, man, a brother, you know, he actually was talking about meth haps and he was like, you know, what meth hab do you follow? And I was like, I don't follow meth hab. Mm-hmm. We don't follow meth habs, you know, we don't follow these men. And I'm just parroting what I heard mm-hmm. from other people, right? He said, so where do you take your fic from? And at the time, I didn't even know what fic was, bro. Like, you know? <laughs> so years back, I had to look back. Yo, I was, that was so ignorant. Like, mm-hmm. just parroting, not knowing what I was saying. Like, where do you take your fic from? You know, mm-hmm. and I, was, I take it from the hadith. So do you open up a book of hadith and just extrapolate evidence on your own, which a lot of people are doing? This is the destruction of, of the religion. Mm-hmm. You know, people just coming up with their own opinions. Um, so I've taken so much from being here. Uh, a lot of unlearning and then relearning. But, you know, my, my, my intention in coming was I'm going to come here. I'm going to teach my community when I go back. But really, I learned that Allah brought me here to remove ignorance from myself first. You know, so the priority is really self. And if Allah gives me an opening to benefit others, then alhamdulillah. But if not, just removing ignorance from myself and from my family is sufficient enough at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that will make you a teacher. Like, yeah. Not, you know. Hey, I really like what you're saying. And I think... Um, uh, for all times, but I think especially for our time, uh, and especially in our Western context, mm-hmm. like, you know, you have so many people who, like you say, they've just been taught by, they've been taught this is Islam. Yeah, that's it. And it goes from different, bro, it's like there's Sufi people that have been taught from the Sufi perspective, like this is all that Islam is, right? And they don't really know about other vantage points or other ways of looking at it. there's so much misunderstanding right? yeah sure and so like just bringing up the general literacy and say like hey these this is a perspective mm-hmm. this is a perspective mm-hmm. this is the historical development of this school mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that school so this is the vantage point and then even being like this is the vantage point or the school that i'm teaching from yeah and being able to have that like um you know, like intellectual honesty and intellectual humility to yeah. just be like, and it's like, we were talking about this the other day. It's like, you know, it's unreasonable to believe that we're all, the whole ummah is going to agree on yeah. anything. Of course. It's just not going to happen. Of course. It didn't happen amongst the Sahaba. So mm-hmm. who do you think you are? Yeah. Like it didn't happen amongst the Salaf. Mm-hmm. So if we're Salafis, mm-hmm. and the thing about not just the Salafi, but like every group claims to be on the way of the exactly. Salaf. Like yeah, even yeah, whether yeah. You, whatever Precisely. you call yourself, Precisely. you claim to be on the way of the Salaf. Precisely. And so if you claim to be upon the way of the Salaf, then you understand that the Salaf had great ikhtilaf. They did. They had great difference of opinion. They did. So then to be on the way of the Salaf is to have great difference of opinion. Precisely. Like the, and to... You know, then if we accept that that's just the way it's going to be, mm-hmm. then the next step is like, okay, so how is the best way to navigate yeah, sure. great difference? Sure, 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 sure. And it's like through conversation, through being real, through like reaching across differences and being like, yeah, I know where you stand and I differ from you on this, this and this, mm-hmm. but we agree on this, this and this. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And it's so interesting that like in many ways it's easy to have like, inter-religious dialogue than intra-religious yeah, dialogue yeah, right. i.e. with other religions mm-hmm. it's easier to like yeah. talk but with people that differ from you within your yeah, own difficult. tradition difficult. it can be difficult um, but I, I think 
I hope like people are becoming, it seems to me from our generation, uh, people are becoming more open. And I just think like when I was in, I was in Dallas, I think earlier this year, maybe last year. And, uh, I was having dinner with, uh, Omar Suleiman and a number of the other brothers there. Yeah. And, I remember it was funny. We were all talking, and we all came from different perspectives and different with different teachers. But I remember one of the elders, like like real kind of like uncle status, and he was like, "How can you work with people that have differences of opinion from you?" Like he was like coming from that <laughs> yeah, perspective, yeah, 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 and it was yeah. funny because like all of us that were from the younger generation, mm-hmm. we were all like, "Alhamdulillah, we're gonna differ." Mm-hmm. He he wasn't even talking about anyone in the room. He was just talking in general, and he didn't necessarily even know that people in this room had come from very yeah, exactly, different perspectives. Yeah. But we're all coming together to say like, "Yeah, you're my brother," and like, "We work for Khair. Yeah. And so it was interesting to see all of us like, you know, all of those brothers in that room like having deference for this elder, and not, but also being like, "But we." But no, like mm-hmm. we like that's not how we're gonna operate. And I, I hope that is a generational thing. Like yeah. it seems like amongst our generation, like people aren't really as caught up. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what I do see with that, along with that, is that this idea of openness. Uh, everyone has their is more opinionated now, mm. and also you know, distrusting of the scholars because of what had happened before, like. You know, dog, dogmatic thinking leading to such, you know, uh, creating differences within the community and, you know, you know, sort of being con- creating conflict. People are distrusting the scholarship now saying we're going to think for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So now they're dogging out the scholars and now people are creating their own opinions as well. So that's a good point, man. That's a real thing. So, yeah, I, that's I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, we do see that in for our generation, like you looked up to the scholars, like yeah. anyone who's teaching or yeah. who was like, like you, you, you wanted to, like you say, sit at their feet. You mm-hmm. wanted, they have the Arabic, they have, if they have knowledge, mm-hmm. and and it's like there was a great deference from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now with the kind of twenty somethings, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's been a radical shift in like very little time. In general, and this is my own like working through it. I haven't really thought. I need to think about it more and I'll acknowledge that. So I'm curious like how you think about this. But it seems like the 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 reverence and like the honor has shifted towards the activists. Yeah, sure, yeah. And so like those that are, you know, really doing the activism work, those are the ones that are invited to speak. Those exactly. are the ones you want to sit at their feet. Mm-hmm. Those are the mm-hmm. ones that you celebrate. Those are the actually like the voices in the community yeah. that that have shine mm-hmm. and also that get the bigger honorariums and that like the the you know are representing the community yeah. whether or not they have they've studied or whatever mm-hmm. and even those imams or those scholars that are respected they're respected because they're they're activists exactly yeah. right so yeah. umar Suleiman, mm-hmm. who we mentioned and i like him a lot mm-hmm. you know it's not there's no I, I respect you know you know he's sincerely like you know, um, marching for, you know, Black Lives Matter and for immigration and, he, mm-hmm. you know, all these things, you know, fundraisers for people, Yemen, Syria, like he's really about that. And what's interesting is like that is, it's like for 
that generation, that is his validation to listen to him speak about for it. For sure, for sure. It's not because he studied this or he yeah, knows yeah, yeah. this. It's like, oh, because you're doing that? Now I'll listen to your song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm yeah. curious what you, your thoughts on all this. I think that it comes as a result of, you know, all these years having imams on a, you know, hop on the membar on a Friday and you're talking about, you know, not to say that it doesn't have a significance, but you're talking about the, like, the different names of Jannah, right? When people were, you know, Jannah has 99 names and people are out there being slaughtered, you know, mm-hmm. killed right in your neighborhood. You have gun problems, you have drugs problems, you have prostitution, you have mass incarceration. But every Friday you're talking about the 99 names of paradise. You're talking about, you know, these things that are out there like abstract when you have real problems. So when somebody steps up and they're, you know, creating solutions to these problems, like the respects then shifts. And also, it is from our tradition to be activists. The Prophet was an activist. He saw things going on in his community and changed them hands on. So if you're just preaching the book and there's no fruit, there's no result of what you're preaching, it then loses right. its, its value. And it's not seen as like relating precisely, to the lived experience precisely. of the people. And that's it. Right. But the activists are speaking to the lived experience. And sometimes they're quoting these ayahs and these evidences or whatever, but you can see them walking with their what they're saying you know sometimes it's blurry for them as well but at least you see them doing something um so i think there should be a marriage of the two you know there's there's a place for the scholarship and there's a place for the activism and where the two can meet and learn from each other and benefit each other that's important as well but you know for every imam to get out there and have to be activist i don't think it's necessary there's a place for you know Mm -hmm. certain imams don't need to be out there you know uh but they should be aware of what's going on, the verbiage was happening, it should be insistent in assistance and it shouldn't be speaking against, you know, or getting up on the member to condemn people or judgmenting or being judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, what you see out of defensiveness, it happens. And the activist shouldn't be, you know, right. canceling right. Uh, all the scholars as well. Yeah, and this this ties into this. I mean I've thought about this like if you think about like twenty somethings growing up, right? They're growing up post nine eleven, like they don't remember before 9-11. Sure. Right? Um, and also, like, you know, so then and you're, like, growing up in, like, Trump's America, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from the right, there's, like, these demonized groups, right? Which basically is, like, a list. A sh- the short list is, like, mm-hmm. immigrants, black people... Uh, homosexuals, Muslims, mm-hmm. and maybe you could add a few other. You know what I mean? But basically, yeah. like Muslims are one of those lists. Yeah, sure. mm-hmm. So I think what you see, I think, from a lot of people is like, just on the like. I'm thinking about this that if you grow up, kind of as one like. And your whole life, this this one group is like attacking you. And you yeah. see the politicians and the president mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. these people like, you're not, you don't belong here. Mm-hmm. And then there's another group on the left that mm-hmm. are like, we're riding for those select groups exactly. and we're defending them. You're right. like, oh, those are my people. Like, right. And I'm, right? So it's almost like, you know, because we talk about how like there's kind of levels of Islam. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the Islam, one of the levels of Islam is just like pure identity. Like mm-hmm. I'm a Muslim. That's mm-hmm. my identity. Mm-hmm. And that's not bad, obviously, but it's also, it can be extremely superficial. Like yeah. it's just like, because it's like, you know, I mean, I think the, 
Islam is supposed to do something to you, yeah, sure. right? As mm-hmm. the Prophet Islam articulated it, it's like it's like it's a method. Yeah. It's actually right. Mm-hmm. You know, it is the if you you know the Hadith Nawafil, you know uh, that you you know draw near yeah. by the obligatory, mm-hmm. and then continue to draw near by the supererogatory mm-hmm. until I love him, mm-hmm. until I love them, and when I love them, I become the eye which they hear, mm-hmm. you know, the eye with which they see, the ear with which they hear. And so, like, there, it's something to do something to you. It's mm-hmm. not just like, I'm Muslim, whatever. And that's it. Yeah. And I can say whatever, whatever, like, my Islam says this. And, but, like, but people that are on that, that, like, they are the targeted identity group. In the sense, like, these right-wing people have said, like, no, it doesn't matter what you believe. If you're Muslim, like, that. so, you know what I mean? It's kind of like a response to that, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know... And then I see these like interesting ways that like the Muslim community is being like tossed into the kind of like culture wars and like mm-hmm. America's becoming more and more polarized, yeah, right? Sure. Left and right. Mm-hmm. And like there's some Muslims that are just like straight up leftist, liberal, boom, put an Islam sticker on that, that's what we're on. That's it, yeah. And then there's on the other side, there's all these Muslims that are just on some like basically taking like the whole like right wing Christian talking points exactly. and like putting an Islamic label mm-hmm. on them and like, where are it? And it's just like, bruh, um, I'm not with any of that. Exactly. Like, why do you have to? Mm-hmm. Like, Islam, you know, supersedes all that. Yeah. Like, Islam is its own vantage mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And within that, there's a breadth of, of like, like we said, there's diverse range of opinions and perspectives and schools of thought. But like, I just feel like it's super, um, I do see this polarization that pe- because if you grow up in America, you're going to fall into one of these camps. Sure. That's your lived reality, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's like Islam, to me, it, it articulates a vantage point that transcends those. Yeah, sure. It transcends the either or. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but if you haven't learned, if, you're, if you aren't studied in those things, you're just going to take what's available to you, you know, mm-hmm. what you see is present. So I think that's, that's the significance of knowledge, you know? No. But yeah, man. So, but also you're doing, you're performing all over. Like you're doing these uh, gigs, and you're you making suits. So we should get to that too. You're, you know, you're yeah, a designer. Yeah. So, fresh, fresh. But uh, so yeah, man. What what's like you you're traveling all over. You're going whatever tomorrow. You're going to Canada to do something. Like what is the, what are the type of events you do? What type of performances are you doing? What who do you find is your demographic that's drawn to what you're doing? Um, yeah, man. I think, uh, but before before I left, I was like, you know, on the circuit doing like spoken word performances, like you know, internationally and nationally as well. Um, but moving moving to Egypt, things got really quiet because I don't think people were trying to pay the ticket to go from Egypt all the way back to the states. So you know, things got really quiet. Um, but in terms of performances, I, I've been out of like the performance circuit for a minute, except for those few organizations that called. Um, like we just did a tour beyond the Bilal tour, me and Mustafa Briggs, and we did I think like 17 uh, cities. Uh, it was really successful, alhamdulillah. And that was like I think the best touring experience I ever had in my life. You know, it was beautiful, and like some doors opened up that haven't opened up before. Um, so we did that, um, and on on that tour I was doing poetry for my book entitled Woke and Wake of the White Awakening, which I wrote here in Egypt. So it was speaking to like mostly not mostly Muslim audiences, but there were some non-Muslim audiences as well. 
And I was just talking about my experiences in Egypt as a student of knowledge, going through spiritual transformation. I spoke about um, black identity, trying to find my, uh, you know, black identity within the framework of Al Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, feeling sometimes that that my culture was always stigmatized as haram, everything, the way I dressed, the way I spoke, the way I talked, growing up feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just talked about these different concepts um, within the concept of beyond Bilal, which my brother Mustafa Diggs Briggs presented. But now mostly I find people more willing to book me for speaking engagements as well. So I'm giving like Islamic lectures and talks uh, at Muslim Fest this, 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 coming up, this coming week. I'll be giving a discourse entitled... Um, uh, I forgot the discourse already. <laughs> Talk the toxic religiosity. Mm. So talking about how you know young people or Muslims in general are being pushed away from Islam because these hyper-religious people that present Islam as this stern, rigid type of religion where there's no forgiveness, either hellfire or you know or bid'ah and these, these these different terminologies that are pushing people outside of Islam. You know, people are, are becoming judge and jury, you know, condemning people to the hellfire and things of this nature, or just having them do these rigorous acts without any understanding of it, of what's the sweetness of prayer, what's the sweetness of ibadah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk about that and break that down to a simple framework using uh, examples of the Prophet ﷺ, how did he deal with people that had spiritual sicknesses, you know, at such a lofty level of iman where the Prophet ﷺ would you know, tell people to abstain from things that he himself didn't do, you know? Mm-hmm. So, this, I mean, imagine you are leadership and people are doing things. You have such a spiritual, high spiritual level where people, somebody will come to you and say, I want to commit zina. Mm-hmm. You know, we have people, you know, who you come to an imam today talking like that and you're done. Like, you may never be invited. You may mm-hmm. be kicked out of the masjid. Mm-hmm. You know, but our prophets, like some the messenger of God, was able to sit and have a talk with a, a young person that wanted to do such thing and reason with him on a human level. Mm. You will be hard pressed to find people like that. We have some leaders now that are like that, but in, for the most part, if that was his parents, that was his peers, a lot of times his local masjid, it, w- it would be over. Imagine going like to a local masjid, you know, like a blunt fall out your pocket or something like that. Mm-hmm. You're done. You're finished. <laughs> you know, going to a local masjid, you have. You want to have a, a gender transformation or something like mm-hmm. that. There's no spaces where you can have these conversations mm-hmm. because of toxic religiosity. People mm-hmm. are so religious and so godly mm-hmm. that that's beneath them. Mm-hmm. You know, le- leaving off the human the human reality. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, like we are human beings that have sicknesses. Mm-hmm. So I remember a saying that said that the masjid is not supposed to be a club for the righteous. You know, supposed to be a hospital for the sick. Mm-hmm. You know, but we have this religious social clubs where everybody knows exactly how to talk. The verb is to say everybody dresses the same. Everybody pr- puts on this performative Islam, right. as Jack, Dr. J says, as, a, as opposed to addressing real life issues. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's it. It's it's like false religiosity yeah. because it's like it doesn't allow, like you say, like the real, uh, really sanctified people really transformed people really mm-hmm. Muhammadan people yeah. people upon the sunnah they don't have that quality they don't they're just not yeah. it's absent yeah. like they're actually the least judgmental and the most compassionate and the most forgiving and overlooking of faults mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and like gentle with people mm-hmm. um, you know and I was just thinking about that because like <laughs> you know just that whole piece of like telling people you should do this you should do that without like establishing first like 
any knowledge of them. Yeah, sure. Or like mm-hmm. where they're at, or mm-hmm. what they've experienced, mm-hmm. or like who they are, yeah. what they know, or what they love, or what pain they experience. Yeah, you know what I mean. And like, you know, um, it's a profound actually lack of understanding the prophetic way. Yeah, sure. You know, even just the other day, I was like went in the masjid, uh, and uh, like afterwards the brother like clearly there was somebody watching me while I was praying mm-hmm. and like you know at the side of your eye you could feel mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and so then like afterwards he's like come here come here and I was like I'm, I, I had a call to do so yeah. I like didn't really want to and mm-hmm. also just vibe wise I was like I don't I know what this is about to yeah, come <laughs> I'm not really feeling what, whatever you want to tell me I'm, 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 I have a feeling I'm not going to feel this conversation so then I come over shake his hand and then he like he pulls me like yeah. sit 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 mm-hmm. And so then I was like, it just energetically, like, I'm super sensitive. I was like, I'm not really into whatever. And I, like, literally have to do a call. But then I was like, real split second, I was like, okay, like, what would what would the prophecy said I'm doing? Okay, mm-hmm. so I was like, hello. So I kneeled down. I was like, you know, how are you? What's going on? And then he's like, are you new Muslim or how long are you new Muslim? Mm-hmm. Like, alhamdulillah, you know, a while, you know, over a decade or whatnot. And then... uh he goes uh, immediately from that uh, first question, second question, not question. Then he was like, "It's haram to wear a necklace for a man." Dang! And because I was wearing my beads, I was wearing my my tesbih, mm-hmm. my thicker beads mm-hmm. around my neck, tucked in, but mm-hmm. you could just see them around mm-hmm. the back of mm-hmm. my neck. And so I just looked at him and I was like, first of all, I was like, um, I mean, my first thought was like, "Are you sure?" Right. Exactly. Like, are you sure mm-hmm. that there's absolute there's absolute unanimous Mm uh you know consensus Mm -hmm. that this is an impermissible act which is not no Mm -hmm. because obviously it's not Mm -hmm. like obviously it's not Mm -hmm. um i'm sure somebody said it's not it is you know Mm -hmm. but like you'll see great scholars or lemma wearing their beads around their night like Mm -hmm. so it's just and you know but the point was, is like, did I really want to get in that conversation? Exactly. So, so I just like, because I didn't, I was just like, okay. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like not, like I was just like, okay. Cause I want, and then he was like, yeah. And it's impermissible for men to wear bracelets. Mm-hmm. And like, it was funny. Cause like, while he was saying that he was wearing um, a watch, mm-hmm. which like, there's no problem. Like I have no problem wearing a watch, right, but right. it's like, explain to me what, so you can wear a bracelet that has like a spinning time piece, but not a bracelet yeah, that right. doesn't like, mm-hmm. it just, you see what I'm saying? Like. There's no unanimous consensus about mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, okay. And I left. You know, it's whatever. But just those type of interactions where it's like, bro, you don't know me. You don't know anything about me. Mm-hmm. And that's like the first thing. Like you, yeah. And like you actually want me to change my life because of something that you're telling me you not knowing anything about me That's and not really true. not even knowing anything about what you're talking exactly. about but I should like I had another experience like that you know that where in another mosque this is in America where you know this like older man gentleman came up to me afterwards I told you about this where he was like you know why do you have long hair mm-hmm. you shouldn't have long hair you should cut your hair and I was like well why and, you know again like are you sure mm-hmm. 
And he was like, oh, well, I know that's from your culture, mm-hmm. but like you're Muslim now. And this is And I was just like, what was hilarious about it in that moment is, is like he was from a culture. He, was, he happened to be Pakistani. Uh, no offense, Pakistani. So mm-hmm. right? we love you. <laughs> you know, but he, he, I love biryani. Shawar Kamis, I'll rock that sometime. No, but he, uh, so he was like, he was basically like telling me that like in Islam, you don't, men don't have long hair. And yeah. what was hilarious is what he didn't realize is that he was actually committing the exact thing that he was accusing me of, which exactly. is that he was putting his culture, culture. over Islam exactly, because yeah. the prophet of God had long hair. Yeah. The, the Sunnah is to have long hair. Mm-hmm. I was actually following the Sunnah, but in his contemporary modern Pakistani culture, mm-hmm. Long hair indicates, I don't even know what it indicates, irreligiosity, effemininity, mm-hmm. rebelliousness from the, you know, like, whatever. Yeah. And the brother who's the imam, who happens to be a friend of mine, he later told me, he's like, you know what it is, is a lot of the, like, in their generation, like, that was, you can't have long hair mm-hmm. as a man. But a lot of the young, like, Pakistani kids that grew up in America, mm-hmm. their kids, mm-hmm. they all want to have long hair and, you know, ponytails and whatever, mm-hmm. and braids. Mm-hmm. And so they're freaking out. Exactly. So they see, like, me mm-hmm. as, as in they, like, they feel like I'm basically a bad influence on their yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's trying to, like, but it's a cu- curve that, yeah. The point is, is, like, you know, the, the beauty is that, like, if you have a bit of, like, Exposure, not even like knowledge, but you have exposure mm-hmm. to to true scholars. Mm-hmm. Like you, then you you realize, and you're not affected. Like I'm not gonna have my feelings hurt. Or I'm not going back to that yeah. mosque. But it's just like, oh, you literally don't know. Yeah. But it's so frustrating that people that don't know are the ones that like take it upon themselves mm-hmm. to condemn others or say you should, you know. Whereas like a, a counter example to that is really profound is my friend Sheikh Yahirodis. He told me that. When he was in uh, Mauritania with Sheikh Murabat al-Hajj, one of the great sages uh, of the previous generation who recently passed away, um, you know, and you're literally out in the straight desert in a tent, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but this is a great Sheikh, and and Sheikh Yahya was a young man, early 20s, and Sheikh Yahya, like, doesn't really have much of a beard now, but in those days he had, like, almost nothing, right? Mm -hmm. He just has, like, a little bit uh, on his chin and a mustache, right? So, like, he just doesn't grow hair on his cheeks, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was mentioning that <laughs> for, like, weeks he was there studying with Marabat al-Hajj. But he was never, like, alone with the sheikh. It was always a bunch of people around, you know, because it's a big sheikh and a lot of students and whatever. And then one time he found himself just alone with the sheikh. Other people left. And he said, Sheikh Marabat al-Hajj, like, looked around, like, literally left and right, mm-hmm. very overtly. Mm-hmm. to see if anybody could hear and then he leaned into him mm-hmm. and he said he said it's impermissible to shave like to, to be clean shaven mm-hmm. and uh, you know Yahya said he told him he said Sheikh like I, I, I don't shave mm-hmm. like I just don't grow hair on my face mm-hmm. and he said the Sheikh was like okay no problem man. okay that's good that's fine that's I just <laughs> like he genuinely thought he didn't know like mm-hmm. maybe in his culture mm-hmm. people are clean shaven mm-hmm. he doesn't know yeah, he's right. new Muslim right. so he but but look at that. He didn't want to embarrass him. Exactly. He waited for weeks mm-hmm. rather than tell him in front of people mm-hmm. or you see what I'm saying? Come on, blast, and he yeah. made sure like no one was around so he could tell him that. And so that is that's Dean. Mm-hmm. That's people with knowledge. That's people yeah. that are really following the prophetic yeah. way. In subtle things like that, let alone, you know, 
bigger things. And I think, yeah, in our community, we suffer. There's a lot of like, like weird judgment. Like people just feel like I need to tell you what you're doing wrong. And it's such a weird like ego trip Mm -hmm. because if you really care about someone, you don't think like I'm because if you really care about someone, you want to tell them something in a way that's most likely to benefit them. Yeah, sure. And it's like, you know, I heard somebody say, I think Obeda Levin said this. He said, he said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if I knew that you really care about me, you're my brother and you look out for me and, like, we've established that and, like, you know, if I needed something, I could reach out to you. Then if you tell me something... Like, yo, bro, I think you should do this or not do this. or Then I'm listening. Yeah. But if you're just someone off the street, and like we don't, and that's the other thing about like the Prophet Sallallahu Like he lived amongst his people for 40 years. Yeah. He was known as the trustworthy. Mm-hmm. He was the one they would come for for disputes. They would leave their debts with him. Mm-hmm. And then when he would call them, he called them from that perspective. Yeah, exactly. He didn't just go, okay, do this, don't do this. Mm-hmm. And so like we seem to have lost that to a certain extent, you know. Yeah, you know, uh, who said that? My friend Bashir said the other day, I was talking to him, he said, I don't take criticism from people I wouldn't take advice from. Mm. You know, subhanAllah, it hit me heavy. Um, and then another friend of mine was giving me a perspective on the hadith of Jibreel, alayhi salam, when uh, Jibreel, alayhi salam, came to the companions and they didn't know who he was. And they were all bugging out, you know, because here's this person coming, he's a stranger, right. we don't know who he is. He's so fresh and so clean in the desert, and he's addressing the Prophet by Muhammad, right? Mm-hmm. He said, she said that um, because of all these things, they were so caught up on these things that he was doing that they completely lost the message. It wasn't until later at the end he said, do you know who that was? Mm-hmm. That was Jabril, and he came to teach your religion. Mm-hmm. So had they known where, where he came from from the beginning, it would have changed the whole dynamic of how that experience happened. So sometimes because we don't understand where people come from, we get so caught up. And, and that, that we miss out on the whole message. So if you know where someone comes from, that changes your whole experience, how you interact with them. But if you don't know where they come from, you're going to be so caught up on mm-hmm. these little things. Look at his necklace. Look at his mm-hmm. hair. Look at his wearing his shoes. Like, look at his mm-hmm. shirt. But where does he come from? What lesson did he come to teach? Like, how can I benefit? Mm-hmm. You know, or asking. Um, so that's, that's, that's a perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's real, man. And, and that's... You know, Leah, I love what Bashir said. Shout out Bashir Jones, mashallah, beautiful brother. Um, but, and I, you know, I love that. You know, don't take uh, a criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice. And the other thing I was thinking, man, I have like new rule, right? And next time someone is like, that I don't know, it's like, you should do this or you shouldn't do that. I'm going to be like, give me a thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> and they're like, what you mean? A th- why would I give you a thousand dollars? You're not going to give me a thousand dollars? No. Mm-hmm then I'm not taking advice from you. Because anybody that actually loves me and cares about me, my friends, my family, if I was like, yo, I need $1,000, here's $1,000. Like that, that's a good marker of like who really cares about you. Like who would give you $1,000 if you need it? Right, 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 right. And so if you don't care enough about me to do something for me, then you don't get to have an opinion about my life. And I'm going to try to apply that to myself because if I wouldn't give you $1,000, I don't even have an opinion about your life. I, I, I like that's it. You know what I mean? Like do whatever you want. Like that's your thing. I don't. Boy, you are gonna be hard pressed to get some advice. <laughs> be like, yo, don't be friends with him, man. He's always asking for a thousand dollars, bro. Don't advise that brother, man. I shall. Yeah, man. It was good to talk to you, bro. We'll wrap it up. But uh, for people that are listening. 
how can people connect with you or your work or your man? We didn't even talk about your suit. So let people know where they can find you or what you're doing and uh, yeah. follow up. So uh, yusufkroma.com, that's Y-O-U-S-S-E-F-K-R-O-M-A-H. We're going to be launching in the next few weeks the Yusuf Chroma collection online where you can go to, like, directly to the website and purchase a suit. Uh, but for the most part, you can find me on social media, on Facebook, just my name, Yusuf Chroma. On Instagram, it's the same thing, yusuf.chroma, Y-O-U-S-S-E-F dot K-R-O-M-A-H. But we have a men's suit collection, tailor-made suits. We're going to be doing some red, uh, made-to-measure suits as well. And we have some excellent West African-inspired two pieces that we're about to drop. Mm. You know, alhamdulillah, man, we have some 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 nice That's things sure. going on. So you can come through. Why not suit yourself? Get fresh, get tailor-made, uh, and get the baraka That's right. of su- supporting a student of knowledge. No, nah, some fly suits, man. And yeah. uh, I still need my... I just, we got to do my measurements. I yes, still sir. need a suit, bro. Yes, I don't know, man. Path and present. Maybe we should have some sponsors, bro. Maybe the Yusuf Chroma collection should be the a sponsor. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> Let people know. Alhamdulillah. Allah bless you, bro. Allah yeah, bless you. Allah, man. Amen. 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 Am